Our scripture reading for today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so, then, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teachings, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up. Since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and many may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sowers sow the word, and these are the ones along the path, where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Welcome and uh, happy Lunar New Year to everyone. Um, if you've already uh, broken your New Year's resolutions, you can start over. Brand new year, uh, so I encourage you to do that, to uh, restart your spiritual disciplines, get back into serving, recommitments. Uh, it's a 
another opportunity, so please uh, take advantage of it if you need it. Uh, please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this day and for our time together this morning. And we ask once more that in the hearing of your word, God, would you speak to us? Help us to listen. To listen well. With open hearts. That the seeds that you might have for us might take root and bear much fruit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing through the narrative lectionary and um, through the book of Mark. And last week, uh, we heard about the first of five incidents in chapters two and three, in which Mark puts together the series of uh, incidents and questions that the enemies of Jesus lay before him. And they set up these questions like a series of dominoes designed to topple him. They ask him, who can forgive sins but God alone? And then, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Followed by, why do your disciples not fast? And why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? They see Jesus as an existential threat to their entire way of religious life, both in beliefs and practices. And so, in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, we are told that the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him, how to destroy him. And so we see here that Jesus' initial popularity, the so-called Galilean Spring, will soon be followed by persecution in Judea. As they say, winter is coming. But before we get to the Jerusalem winter, instead of simply spending his time repudiating the questions that are being posed to him by his enemies, Jesus now begins to lay out his own kingdom agenda. And a central feature of his teaching is something known as a parable. The word parable, at its core, has this idea of throwing things together side by side. So typically it's a metaphor or a simile taken from nature or from common shared human experience that illustrates or leads us into a deeper spiritual truth. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all introduce the, the, the parable section of their Gospels with this parable, the parable of the sower. As Jesus says in verse 13, do you not understand this parable? If not, then how are you going to understand the rest of the parables. And so this parable is really kind of the key to understanding Jesus' teaching through the parables. And fortunately for us, unlike many of the other parables, Jesus himself gives an explanation as to its meaning. Now it's popular among some circles to rename this parable as the parable of the soils. After all, the sower sows and disappears after the first verse. And the rest of the parable is really concerned about these different types of soils and what happens. Even Jesus' explanation to his disciples seemed to emphasize the soils. Certainly the soils are important. But to dismiss the sower is to miss the point of the parable entirely. The ESV we just heard 
and which nearly all English translations begin, has Jesus saying, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. That is not quite precise. It should be translated, listen, behold, the sower went out to sow. There's a definite article there that almost every English translation drops because I think the story flows more naturally to say a sower went out to sow rather than the sower went out to sow. But it's, it's very clear that it is the sower, uh, which if you are following with the uh, Bible readings in the New American Standard, you'll see that they get it right. It's the sower. Jesus wants us to know that this is the sower, not just any sower. This is not just any old everyday farmer who goes about his business and Jesus is going to draw some sort of life lesson from. This is not a, a fable that Aesop might tell for us to draw some sort of uh, general moral lesson. That is not the point of this parable. The sower sows the seed. And so the first question we need to ask ourselves is, who is this? Who is the sower? And I want to insist that we read this as the sower in this parable is God. It's not us. This is not an exhortation for us to plant the seeds of God's word into the hearts of other people. Now, we, we should do that, but that is not this parable. In this parable, Jesus is teaching us a far more important foundational truth on which all of the other kingdom parables and all of his other teaching is going to rest on. And that is this. This parable is about God and about what God has done and what God is doing. In the Bible, a farmer or a sower is a common metaphor for God. Jeremiah 31, God says, I will watch over them to build and to plant. Ezekiel 36, God says to the people of Israel, See now, I am for you. I will turn to you and you shall be tilled and sown. God sows the seed, which Jesus explains in his explanation that the seed is the word. God is the one who sows the word, who speaks the word. The word, it's, it's not just the, the, the gospel, the word of the Lord. It's not just about language and message about the kingdom. But it's also the word, the word of life, Jesus Christ. Or as the Gospel of John will put it very bluntly, Jesus Christ is the Word enfleshed. And we see here that it is God who does all the sowing. The soil does nothing. The soil can only receive the seed passively. And what we discover from this, it is the actions of the sower that is pivotal. Not what we should do, but what God has done and in a way, it tells us what God is like. We see here, and I know some of you who, are, um, who like things neat and orderly, some of you who have a little bit of OCD about chairs, for example. Um, this is a little horrifying, right? But we see here that this sower goes about sowing seeds indiscriminately and haphazardly, just tossing seeds everywhere. Now, even with my very, very limited knowledge of farming and gardening, I know that this is not what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to 
you know, break up the hard ground. You're supposed to clear the field of weeds and thorns and all of that, right? You're supposed to lay neat rows and, and plant seeds in the good soil. And then you put up a fence to make sure the, you know, the, the rabbits and the deer and the birds stay out. Right? That's the way you're supposed to do it. This sower looks like he has no clue. Only a quarter of his seeds land where they might bear fruit. One out of four. I mean, that, that's failing. Even in baseball, that is not a good record. The sower doesn't seem concerned at all that a quarter of his seeds are going to get lost. That birds will, will eat them and get fat. He's not calculating the amount of revenue he's going to lose that will be lost to the thorns and thistles. The sower just tosses seeds everywhere as if he has an endless supply of seeds, as if he doesn't know what to do with the surplus of seeds. That's how he rolls. That's how the sower sows. And the thing is, and here's the thing, at the end of the day, we can't criticize him. Despite this sort of unconventional method, despite his very questionable technique, he has this enormous harvest. We can't argue with the final results yielding 30, 60, 100-fold. The seed, God's word, does not return empty. God's word bears fruit. That's the picture of God, I think, that Jesus wants us to see. And it's consistent with the other pictures of God that he paints throughout the scriptures. In another place, Jesus says that God is like a prodigal father who wastes, he throws away half of his wealth on a bad son. Jesus said that God is like a shepherd who irresponsibly abandons 99 good sheep, the entire flock, to go after one wayward sheep. It's another reminder that God is in charge, that God's ways are not like our ways, that God's economy does not fit in with our sense of economy and what is prudent. That before anything else, that before anything is demanded of us, you see here once more that God acts first for us. As God demonstrates throughout the scriptures, Jesus tells us once more that before any obedience is asked of us, we are called simply first to behold the sower and what the sower has done. So it's in light of that truth, in light of who God is and what God has done, now we can ask the question, then what is our part? How do we respond? And Jesus tells us what we need to do with the first and last word of the parable. The parable begins with this plural imperative, listen. Listen, everybody. And then it ends with a singular imperative. Listen, you, individually, personally. Jesus calls out the crowd collectively to listen, and then as he concludes the parable, he makes it a point to speak to each of us. You, listen. Jesus brackets the parable with this word, listen. And in his explanation of the parable, you will see that Jesus likens how someone listens 
to the different types of soil. And you see throughout his explanation that the emphasis of the parable is our response and responsibility in listening. It's all about listening. Jesus is calling us here to pay attention. And as you know, we live in an increasingly distracting world. We are in constant motion. We are in a never-ending state of hurried multitasking so that we no longer have the time and the kind of deep thinking and sitting still and listening that makes life meaningful. And into this world, into our world, Jesus speaks this word that I think we need especially to heed. Listen. Listen. But he's saying more than pay attention. He also wants us to hear in this parable, in the way he's framed this, he wants us to, I think, hear the echoes of the Shema. The Shema is the foundational truth of the Israelite religion that is followed then by the duty that flows out of that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the foundational truth. Listen, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Listen. And just as the Shema is about God before it is about our response and responsibility, Jesus models his parable like this and tells us about God before calling us to respond. Because unless we can acknowledge God for who God is and what God has done, there's no need. There is no motivation for us to do what follows. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Or some readers will say, listen now for the word of the Lord. Every Sunday morning, you hear those words as someone reads scripture. Don't open your Bibles. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Don't read You don't even have to look at the reader. Just listen. Pay attention. Give God your full, undivided attention. Be fully present in listening, mind, body, and soul. Don't let everything and anything around you distract you from listening to and for the word of the Lord. You know, later in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples are with Jesus on the mountain and they're all dazzled by the light, the, the clothes shining white. Uh, Moses comes and Elijah comes. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's so easy to be distracted. And out of the heavens, a voice says, listen to him. And then everything is gone and only Jesus remains. Listen. Instead of waiting for some sort of burning bush experience. We are called to listen. Jesus says, but those who are sown on the good soil are like the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. It's those who listen and accept the word who will bear much fruit. Jesus said in John 15, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
How do we demonstrate our discipleship? By bearing fruit. And how do we bear fruit? By listening and accepting the word of the Lord. And so the question I would pose to you this morning is, am I hearing, am I listening with the kind of attention and with the orientation to accept the word today? Or am I looking for something else? In our tradition, the word of the Lord is not only the scriptures as they are read. We have this threefold understanding of the word. The word incarnate in Jesus Christ, the word written in the scriptures, and the word as it is proclaimed in worship. The word of God comes to us in Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord, in the Bible, and in preaching. And I can tell you that it's always a little scary for me to carry that responsibility. The first sermon I ever preached was at my parents' church when I was still in college. Uh, I would often be uh, at home during the holidays, during the summers, uh, when I was on break. And um, I would help out with the youth group. And since I spoke English well, the church asked me to give the Sunday sermon. Uh, in those days, that was pretty much the only qualification you needed. Uh, it was pretty low bar. Um, I miss those days. Um, and so uh, I diligently prepared a sermon, or what I thought was a sermon, without knowing the first thing about how to prepare a sermon, how to preach a sermon. I, I didn't even know how to do you know, public speaking, right? And so uh, I prepared, I gave the sermon, and in my youthful ignorance and arrogance, I thought I gave a pretty good sermon. I thought at least I spoke English pretty well. Well, after the service, my father comes up to me immediately. And he tells me, you said, um, so many times. <laughs> he had actually counted the number of ums I said, a very large number, which I have chosen to forget, and uh, put me back in my place. Now, I understand now, uh, looking back, and because I know him better now, that that was his way of showing love. Right? He, he was trying to help me get better, to do better next time. That was his way of saying it. It didn't come across that way at the moment, but that, that's what he meant. Now, if you're listening to your son give his first sermon, and you're not listening for a word from the Lord. That's understandable, right? I, mean, I think that's excusable. But if you are regularly listening for the preacher's ums, or you walk out of the sermon having caught and remembered only the grammatical mistakes that the preacher made, then you weren't listening. You heard all the mistakes, but you missed out on hearing a word from God. You know, I can tell you that uh, it's partly a kind of a, 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 because of my work, I think, that I'm especially prone to this when I listen uh, to a sermon. Last summer during, the, uh, during my sabbatical, I was worshiping at another church and listening to a preacher uh, giving a message from the book of Hebrews. And you know, I'm, I'm trying to worship and I was listening 
But then in the sermon, the preacher casually mentioned that the writer of Hebrews was John. And so I sat there thinking, oh, I must have misheard that. But then he went on to say, and I counted four more times, (laughs) he mentioned that John wrote Hebrews. And that's all I could think about. That's all, my brain just got stuck. And I couldn't hear anything else he had to say. Now, I'm not suggesting that facts don't matter. But in the context of that particular sermon, in the worship that day and the points that he was trying to make, the misattribution of the author of Hebrews made no difference. It was wrong, but it made no difference. And it's something that I should have just simply overlooked so that I could listen for the word of the Lord. But I didn't. My responsibility is to listen to the word of the Lord. It's not to critique the sermon. And in case any of you are wondering, I've got my family every Sunday to do that job. (laughs) So you don't have to carry that burden. You don't. Over the years, I have been in preaching situations where members of the congregation, and I'm not saying it's necessarily this congregation, but members of the congregation fact-check me on their phones while I'm preaching and tell me immediately afterwards that I misquoted something. I've seen members of the congregation, again, not necessarily this one, maybe this one, (laughs) checking and answering their emails or texting, looking up game scores, adjusting fantasy football lineups, doing their school homework, doodling on the paper bulletins when we used to have paper bulletins, and of course, taking a nap. I've even heard people snore. Okay, I know that I'm not the greatest of preachers, and I'm not trying to excuse bad preaching on my part. But even when a line is smudged, you can still see the line, right? When I was a kid, like many of you, my parents made me take piano lessons. I was pretty terrible. I did not receive any of the musical genes that both of my sisters somehow got. They got all of it. I got none of it. And I was lazy and didn't practice. So I had just nothing going for me in terms of music. But of course, when you take piano lessons, your piano teacher will organize little concerts where everyone has to play something. And so for my first and only piano recital, I chose to play Beethoven's Furlis, which Those of you who play piano, it's probably not that hard to play, but for me, (laughs) it was, you know, a little too much. And I practiced a little bit. I gave my recital, and it was terrible. I made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. But, you know, as terribly as I played, if you listened, you could still make out the melody. It's true. 
after listening to that recital, you could say, you know, that pianist was terrible. Fair enough, true. But it's not fair for you to say, Beethoven is terrible. Right? Even when the preaching is terrible, if you listen, you can still make out the melody. Because the melody is beautiful. Now, sometimes I can't communicate that. But if you listen, you can still hear it. The very fact that someone like me is trying to play Beethoven tells us, like, there's some beauty there. There's something there worth listening to, right? The failures of the speakers should not keep us, distract us from hearing the word of the Lord. Listen. Do you know that God is speaking to you right now? Are you convinced that God is trying to speak to you right now? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. In the midst of all the other noises, my sheep hear my voice. Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Hearing comes by the word of the list. Listen. Do you know the sower and what he has done? This is Jesus' invitation. Know the sower. He's not threatening us here. This is not a threat. Be good soil or you're going to bear no fruit and you're going to die. Nor is Jesus just moralizing, you know, Change your soil. Become good soil. Rather, Jesus, I think, is trying to tell us what it looks like to miss out when we fail to bear fruit. When we don't allow the word to do the work of the word in us. When we allow either hardship or ease to keep us from bearing fruit as we were meant to do. That failure means that we will not experience, we will not have the fullness of life to which God has called us. We will miss out on the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the fidelity, gentleness, and self-control, and all of the other fruits of the Spirit that will be multiplied 30, 60, 100-fold. Listen. Behold, the sower went out to sow. He who has ears to listen, let him listen. Pray with me. Lord, we are, um, we are reminded once more today of this, this great tension in our lives. Of thankfully acknowledging your work of grace in our lives and at the same time, our responsibility for our own hearing. We acknowledge that both your gift and our obedience are needed for growth and fruit bearing. So God, would you help us to catch a glimpse of you in our hearing and in all of that vision, help us to live in increasingly, in increasing faithfulness to you so that our fruit-bearing may bring others into your presence and bring you greater glory. 
We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.